Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, joined via Skype by the legendary owner and founder of Tournament Poker Edge itself. You know him. You love him. He's the one and only killing bird, Derek Tenbush. Hey, Derek, how you been? Dude, I am so good. Uh, Thank you so much for that. Very warm welcome. I don't know if I can live up to all of that, but I will do my best. <laughs> I always picture like a large crowd of people outside my apartment, uh, apartment like clapping for you. <laughs> I hope that day happens. Yeah, like, rawr, yeah. <laughs> so what's been happening? You're uh, you're still working at the uh, at the in the alcohol business. Yeah, distillery is going really well. Uh, we're actually working on moving to some new states now, so that's super exciting. Um, so that, you know, that's keeping me very busy, but still finding a little time to play some poker, uh, online, of course, mostly because I think as we've talked about in the past, I, I live in, I think literally the place furthest from a casino in the entire country. <laughs> um, so I, I rarely get to play live, although I did play some live cash recently. Uh, yeah. So game. you're back in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, which you lived there before, then you moved to Vegas for a while and now you're back in NC and you know, some people might think, well, there are casinos in North Carolina, but you don't live anywhere near those places, do you? No. In fact, I think I can actually make it to, like, Maryland Live faster <laughs> than I can make it to the casino in North Carolina, which is about – I mean, it's up in the mountains. So, like, on the map, it looks like four and a half, but it's really, like, five and a half hours away. So I, I could literally drive to Maryland faster. I could go hang out with Andrew Brokos up there, you know? Yeah, that um, is absolutely ridiculous because you are – two states away from maryland so that's just not right yeah it's it's kind of it's a bummer because it's like well if we can have them in the state why can't we just have one an hour away instead of five hours away but yeah for sure i i, I made my bed i have to lie in it right so. absolutely and in north carolina they don't have uh, the kind of regulated online poker that they have in places like new jersey and nevada so you are playing on acr yeah, I'd say I put about 90% of my volume in on ACR. Um, it's like the classic tale of like, like people are, you know, sometimes people are like, oh man, like, do you trust these sites? Like, is your money good? Like, are you worried? And I'm like, I have literally zero choice. <laughs> I There is no regulated online card room for me to play in. So, you know, it's like, I, I gamble twice, right? Like I gamble in the poker tournament, and I I can't pull that nothing you know goes bad uh, with the sites I play on. But the reality is, like even when I moved to Vegas, I mean I played on WSOP.com, and it was a nightmare. Like I had a terrible time. I rarely played on there because their like geolocation software and stuff is a mess. So like I'd be in the middle of a tournament, like on the bubble or whatever, and all of a sudden it'd be like, our software says you are not in Las Vegas. Uh, we have disconnected you or whatever. And I'm like, I'm in Vegas and I'm streaming this tournament live from Vegas. <laughs> I promise you I'm here. But then you get on, you have to get on the phone with support and it takes like two hours to get back on. So it, 
it didn't really change much for me. I mean, it was it was kind of cool to have a second option in Vegas, but the reality is when I came back, I was probably more comfortable than I was before. So it's a you know it it, it it's being a poker player in the United States is a weird life to live because we watch all these guys playing on poker stars and party poker and eight 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 and it's like we're the land of the free right <laughs> well we're supposed to be and yeah you know, are we the ones that are supposed to have all the freedom <laughs> they're all playing texas hold'em in their countries and texas is part of our country so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the uh, the ironic part is that texas will probably be one of the last like 10 states to legalize it <laughs> right right it's but, all going to happen eventually but like places like where i am and Texas and Kentucky and like they're gonna be the last ones. But where's me? Yeah. Well I had the same experience on WSOP.com. I was literally standing on the strip. I was playing on the mobile app. I was trying to satellite into one of the tournaments this summer. I don't know, the millionaire maker or whatever it was. And I was playing and there were like three tables left. And uh I'm standing outside the Venetian where that water fountain is, you know, that giant fountain right outside the Venetian. And I'd been playing for like four hours. And then all of a sudden the software informed me that I wasn't in Nevada. I was like, <laughs> oh, so the Venetian is not in Nevada. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize I'd ventured that far out of town. Yeah, my I, bad. I, I just wanted to get some air, you know, get out of my hotel room. I like being able to play on a mobile app because like if you want to go for a walk, like I'd been playing part of the tournament in my hotel room and then i was like you know it's a it's a nice night it's not too hot i just want to go outside and i like kind of sitting by that fountain and you know you can watch the people going by and like the just the craziness of the strip but I, i'm still able to focus on one single table that i'm playing you know um i don't feel like it, it hurts my ev that much but it also just kind of gives me a little more entertainment because yeah. a lot of especially as you know from playing satellites 90 percent of the job is folding so right. <laughs> it's not exactly exciting to be like single tabling a satellite online <laughs> when people are tanking and yeah. trying to get into the money somehow, even though it's hand for hand, but whatever, uh, it still seems to take forever. So yeah, I figured that would be a good move, but, uh, yeah, big mistake because then all of a sudden it, and it let me play like 40 hands out there by the fountain. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, nope, not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it was never when I logged in. Like it was, no, you know, you never went to just like log in for a session. It's like you're not here, and it's like, well, I can figure this out. It, it was always like seven hours into the session or whatever. It's After like, you pay the rake. Yeah, yeah. I have not moved, <laughs> sir. I have not moved. Super frustrating, and I've I've heard of other people having a lot of issues with that kind of stuff. So I, yeah, you know, totally. I. I don't feel like any of those sites are perfect yet. Hopefully someday. I mean, it'll be easy, right? When it's when it's just legal and regulated nationwide because then it's like, well, I'm in the country. I mean, maybe some people on like the Canadian border will have trouble, but I think we'll be fine. <laughs> right. Well, actually, where I live in New York, um, I can have the opposite happen because I live on the very edge of Manhattan, almost in New Jersey. Like, actually, as I look out my uh, bedroom window right now, I see New Jersey across the river. Like, I have a view of the Hudson River, and then there's New Jersey. So I'm practically in New Jersey where all this stuff is is legal and I, to the extent that I even get like advertisements on my Google homepage for you know play slot machines on New Jersey it's legal <laughs> you know like all this kind of stuff and I see like TV commercials for online poker because you know I think my uh 
you know, like when I use my antenna, because I'm a cord cutter, you know, I don't have cable. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I either watch like Netflix or whatever, or I have an antenna for watching local channels. And the commercials I see on there, half of them are for, uh, you know, Caesars.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I was wondering about that today. A, a guy, I believe his name is Rob Young. I might have that wrong, but I think he's like a marketing guy for Party Poker or something. He was in new jersey and he took a picture and he tweeted this out and he said i'm standing in new jersey where i can play legal online poker and he took a picture of the new york skyline and he says but those people right there can't right and it's like that's weird and it actually made me think i'm like man could you like live in like chelsea and like play on the new jersey site because <laughs> that would be amazing yeah i mean basically uh you know there's lots of towns right across the river here hoboken jersey city and all those people that I can basically see from my window could very well be playing online poker as well as, you know, sports betting and all kinds of gambling yeah. are now legal just across this tiny river. <laughs> I mean, I You're can like, take I just... a ferry to New Jersey in like seven minutes. So if I yeah. really, really want to place a bet, I guess I can take the ferry and go over there. I think it's like eight bucks for the ferry. <laughs> I guess the, the, the life goal would be to like own a sailboat. Right. And like live on the New York side, but there then when you, you want go. to play poker, you just sail over the Jersey side there you <laughs> and go. fire up your internet connection. Yeah. Well, one great advantage to living in New Jersey, in addition to legal online gambling, is you have a beautiful view of Manhattan. If you live on that side of the river, you know, <laughs> what kind of view do I have? I got to look at New Jersey all day. That's no good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, uh, on a side note, I just booked a trip to Atlantic City. Um, for the Super Bowl this year. We went last year as well. Uh, so I'm super stoked about that because, as we've been talking about, I don't get to play a lot of live poker. So I'm looking forward to getting up there. And we're going to go for like five nights. So there'll be one night will just be Super Bowl, but the other nights should be a decent amount of poker. So oh, it's amazing. Yeah, looking forward to that. It should be fun. Yeah, you could make some prop bets on like what the coin flip is going to be and whether there's a safety in the first five minutes, right? Oh yeah, that was that was. <laughs> I spent like two hours doing that last year. Uh, we went to the bar where the Super Bowl party was going to be. We had like reserved a table and and basically I just went, I, I went to the sports book, got all the prop bet sheets, and I just went to the bar and like ordered every like beer I can't get in North Carolina and filled out props. That's uh, a it good was time. it was yeah. I made more doing that than I made at poker, which is probably telling but <laughs> standard yeah <laughs> well speaking of prop bets um my ongoing um, major league baseball prop bet has taken a turn for the worse as i mentioned on last week's episode uh i think my chances of winning this bet are now below five percent um i haven't officially lost it yet but basically the orioles have like 11 games left and i need them to win 10 of them or something crazy Ooh, like geez. that it's just not going to happen i've basically written the check to david tuckman already i just haven't signed and sealed and delivered it yet uh, <laughs> that's going to be a painful moment in my life you know just he's so smug you know he's just oh god it, it's it's hard. Yeah, but it, you're going to hear about that for, like, years. Yeah. years. Yeah, but I'll probably get more action on it next year, too. <laughs> Try That's to get true. My money <laughs> Sometimes it's good to be the fish. Yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Or at some point, I must just maybe say, maybe you shouldn't bet on your home team. You know, like, you can feel my pain because you're a Miami Dolphins fan, so you know uh, yeah, when, when your team I, sucks, it's hard to make the season interesting. Yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from because I actually I tweeted out before the season started and said sell everything you own, 
and put the money on the Dolphins over four and a half games won this year. Wow. And it's looking like we'll be lucky to win one. So. Yeah, I mean, at this point, <laughs> there's only two weeks in the season, but the Dolphins have been outscored like 77 to four or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been brutal. And I mean, and it was, I, I knew the plan was to essentially lose, but I figured, well, they're going to accidentally win a few, right? <laughs> but nope. They're just they're just gonna blow them all. Yeah. So, so you and I can just be brothers in arms about this because you know you root for the worst football team and I root for the worst baseball team. So yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe not selling all your stuff and betting on the over. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad I didn't take my own advice. Let's say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good call. Yeah. Just give the advice. Don't take it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very nice. Well, um, I got a few emails this week about M. So I just want to real quick, uh, because it occurred to me that if I'm getting these emails, that maybe people don't don't know what M is. Uh, M was uh, it, oh, well. Let's first define it, okay? M is very simply your SPR as the cards are being dealt. So it's the ratio between your stack and how many chips are in the middle with the blinds and antes, okay? So whereas most players kind of do a shortcut and uh, they like to know how many big blinds they have, right? And most coaching sites, uh, most of the coaches that I know, they talk in terms of big blinds, like how many big blinds do you have? And that helps you get a sense of, uh, you know, how how long your stack could last or what kind of moves are available to you. But uh, M is a little bit more precise because it's the exact mathematical ratio of your stack compared with the pre-flop uh, pot. So you know, a lot of people talk about SPR in terms of after the flop, what your ratio is, but M is just that same ratio as the cards are being dealt before any betting happens. So I just wanted to get that out there because I guess I haven't really mentioned it in a while. And as everyone knows, I prefer M just because I like to be as precise as possible. And especially in this day and age of some tournaments having the big blind ante and some tournaments not, you really need to know what's in the pot compared to your stack. Uh, anything you want to add, Derek, about M? No, I mean, I think you summed it up pretty good. I, mean, I, think, I think the key is that it also takes into account the antes. And, and the reality is, like, most of your, like, big major live tournaments are going to be pretty consistent on the ante front. But, you know, for a lot of people out there, they're playing, like, small dailies and things like that or nightlies at their at their local casino whatever. And th- those antes can fluctuate a lot. So M is going to take into account those antes as opposed to just big blinds because you might be giving away more per orbit than you really think you are because of the ante sizes. Um, so I do think that M is a... As you as you described, it a more precise way to keep track of your stack. I I remember I always thought in terms of big blinds, and then I believe I read Harrington on Hold'em, and I was like, oh, this M thing is kind of cool. Like I need to learn how to do this. And then I I'm just so bad at math that I was like, man, I'm going back to big blinds. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're honest, you know. Yeah, but at some point I should really force myself to go back to M because it. I mean, it would be a complete retraining of my brain. But as you said, it's just it should it really is just a more precise way of doing it and. And with the way that tournament structures are changing, it's probably a a good move. Yeah, and especially because I've heard some talk about some tournament directors toying with the idea of changing the amount of the big blind ante at the final table or taking away the big blind ante. Like, you really need to know what's in the pot. 
because yeah. that would really change your decision. Like I've played in tournaments before that were turbos, and maybe because they were turbos, they didn't have antis at all. They just right. had blinds that went up super aggressively. So if you were calculating uh, your decisions based on just uh, how many big blinds you had, and there were no antis, that you'd be making different decisions if somebody had added a big blind ante to that same pot, you know, right. really increasing the amount that's in there uh, a lot. Or if you know if they start changing, like right now the big blind ante is the same amount as the big blind itself in most tournaments. But if they start tinkering with that, as the Alan Kesslers of the world <laughs> continue to complain <laughs> about how final tables are becoming more of a crapshoot, uh, because in the past, if only five people anteed up, there would be one amount, you know, because if you're five-handed, say, when there's two tables left and they're trying to get down to nine players, one table is five-handed and the other one is six-handed, whatever the case may be, uh, the five-handed table, that ante amount is much smaller than if somebody had put in the exact amount of the big blind. So, yeah, I, I think it's important. And I, you know, lately on this podcast, I've been trying to appeal to as wide an audience as possible. And so I've been trying to give both wherever I can, not just talk in terms of M or how many big blinds. But I think as players, you know, the math isn't that complicated. We should be able to figure out our ratios because that's really what you're doing. You know, like if I shove right now, you know, if you, if the chart says, right, you know, a lot of people use push uh, fold charts. Uh, if the chart says I should shove with 12 big blinds, like the real question is what what am I doing? Am I putting in two times the pot? Am I shoving for three times the pot? And like you'll really be able to answer that question more clearly if you consider the exact ratio or M that's being you know how much is in my stack compared to how much is in that pot? Because you know you might think it doesn't make sense to shove six times the pot with this marginal hand, whereas if you're just calculating your your big blinds you might not really see it that way right so it's what kind of price you're laying somebody else to so it all goes together i always tell people i don't think you need to be a mathematical wizard to be great at poker but i think you just you you should be able to handle kind of simple uh division and and it doesn't have to be a really precise like to the third decimal point or something just you should have an idea of what that ratio is and i think getting comfortable with them is a good way to do that so thank you for everyone who's been emailing about that. Uh, apparently, a f- few episodes ago, I forgot to mention how many big blinds, and then players were emailing me like, you keep talking about M, what is that? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let me just give a real quick M101 here so we can get into it. So when yeah. you stream, I wanna, I'm going to jump around topics a little bit here, but yeah, I wanted no to problem. ask you because I've seen, you know, I follow you on Twitter, and I know that a lot of our listeners are following your, your Twitch stream. It seems to me like your attitude is more, uh, look, do you want to watch a guy play poker who also wants to have a good time? Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. So, I, like, I actually I had this exact conversation with a, with a stream viewer, like, probably maybe two weeks ago. And he was like, hey, can you, like, talk through some of the hands more and, like, what, what you're thinking and, and strategy and stuff? And I said – Yes, I can, and I and I will, you know, because you're here and you've asked, and I, I want to be, you know, I want I want to be customer focused, so I'll do that. I said, but like my stream is really not an educational stream. It was never designed to be that. Um, not that I don't like poker study and poker training. I find those things very interesting. I obviously started a company around it, 
but I, I think I'm surrounded by it so much every day, whether it's editing videos or editing podcasts or being on a podcast uh, or just reading articles that maybe a pro wrote. I'm surrounded by the strategy part of it so much that when I stream, that's really like my downtime. Like that's when I want to be able to just kick back, crack a beer, have some fun, take a few bad beats, put a few bad beats on other people. Crack and another not- beer, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so I, you know, sometimes I get more deep into it and, and I have, I have a couple of viewers that make fun of me because they, they say that I, when the stream starts, I talk more strategy, but the longer it goes, the more I'm just like making shit up as I go. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like I fall back into my comfort zone, which is just going like, okay. I, I mean, if I were, you know, if I were streaming like a commentary on a main event final table or something, I would talk way more strategy, but you know, I'm playing like $11 tournaments, $22 tournaments, $33 tournaments. I just kind of want to kick back and have a good time. You know what I mean? It's like if you're a, I don't know, if you're a professional quarterback for a football team and you and you have a weekend game where you play flag football with your buddies, like, do you really want to like draw up a, a complex playbook and spend six hours, you know, practicing the week before the game and things like, you just want to go out and throw the ball around and have some beers, you know? <laughs> That's a perfect analogy, I think, except that you're not a professional quarterback in the no. poker world. Although I maybe could be for the Dolphins. That's- yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So but, but yeah, how often it, are you on there? Are you still do- are you doing every Tuesday, or what is your streaming schedule? Yeah, so I used to – for a long time I was streaming probably like four nights a week. Um, August I really scaled it back just because it was a crazy, crazy month uh, with just life stuff going on. Um, but I've kind of gotten back into the into the groove of things here in September. Um, as we've mentioned before, I have a I have a private home game on uh, Tuesday nights on America's Card Room. That went away for a while because they upgraded their – well, some people would argue they downgraded their software, but – that's neither here nor there. They changed their software. They changed it. Yeah, let's just stick with that. They definitely changed it. So my home game went away for, geez, I guess it's been about three months. Um, but it just actually returned yesterday. So last night was the first month or the first week back uh, doing my Tuesday night home game. So I'll pretty much be doing that virtually every Tuesday. You know, I do miss one every couple months or whatever for business travel or family stuff or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, so I usually stream every Tuesday and then I – Try to get another two nights uh, at least uh, throughout the week. Um, during football season, it's rarely Sunday because uh, probably the only thing I like more than poker is football. Uh, but then, you know, I'll, I'll mix in the other nights when I can. You could just start at halftime of the Dolphins game. I could probably start a kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> I will occasionally do a stream like uh, late night on Sundays. Uh, like after the games are all over, where I, I actually don't even really play poker. I just pull up all the big, like, Sunday Million Final Tables and, and things like that and just talk about them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I would, yeah, I would watch that. And that's probably, like, the one time – like, I probably talk more strategy on those streams than I do when I'm actually playing poker. Because, you know, it'll kind of be like, oh, this is interesting, you know, because – uh, there's five people left, and this guy has 70% of the chips, and these other four guys got ICM considerations. Like, I actually start talking some stuff. That's interesting. You know, why do you care yeah. more when it's not your money? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's such big decisions, right? It's like, you know, if I bust in 45th place or 72nd, it doesn't matter much. But when these guys bust, it's like, oh, that was a 20 k pay jump. Right. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, GG. Yeah, but yeah, I've definitely been uh, kind of getting back into the streaming stuff a little bit more. It'll it'll always fluctuate, you know. Like I'm gonna have some downtime, down 
downtime uh, in October because I'm actually going out to run it up Reno um, for the big Twitch slash. Oh po- yeah, you guys went out there last year, didn't you? Yeah, and it was a blast. I had a great time. So looking forward to doing that again. Me and um, Mark Aliotto are going to meet up out there, and a bunch of Twitch friends and, and viewers and things like that. That is amazing. That's so cool. That was, is this starting to be a tradition? I guess it's two years in a row. You guys are planning your October trip to Reno. Yeah, I think I'll always try to make it. It's just a really good. I I've talk, I, I talked about this on another podcast, but I, it, it's cool to me because it feels like, as opposed to a poker series, it feels like kind of a Twitch meetup or like even just even just call it a meetup, like like friends meeting up where there happens to be poker tournaments going on. As opposed to like the World Series, where it's like this huge poker series where you happen to see your friends sometimes. Um, so again, I guess going back to that, like I like a little downtime. I like to relax a little bit. Like this feels very much like my Twitch stream. You know, yeah. like, like I could go there. The buy-ins are pretty small. Like I mean, even the main event I think is a four hundred dollar buy-in or something like that. It's not gonna hurt. So it's kind of yeah. like yeah, and they have like you know they have like a two hundred dollar knockout, and, and so you can just go and like play a bunch of tournaments, have some beers. You know, put back some shots and just kind of like enjoy yourself with a bunch of really good people because the it is I will say like the the most table friendly tournament I've ever played in. Like nobody's really taking it all that seriously. It's not like everybody's got their hoodies up and their sunglasses on. And even though I'm guilty of doing that sometimes myself, but um, it, it feels very much like kind of a party where there's some poker going on. You know, well, so who? yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I have no I have no financial connection to run it up Reno or anything like that. But man, if, if anybody can ever make it out there, I, I highly recommend it. In fact, I was hoping you were going because I saw Stapes was going. Oh, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe, maybe they're, because last year they did a comedy show. And I'm like, well, maybe he's going to, Stapes is going to do the comedy show and yeah. <laughs> maybe Clayton will be there. I'm pretty sure they will do the comedy show thing again. But alas, I just can't get away. It seems to me that whenever run it up Reno is happening, that's when, my comedy career seems to be busiest. Like September, October, for whatever reason, just end up being really, really busy months. There's like some festivals that I do. There's just a lot of like, you know, the kind of the other world that I live in gets really like hot and heavy around September, October, and then slows down again, like kind of end of November through the holidays. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it doesn't like fit my schedule, but I will be performing with Stapes in uh november in vegas uh he's got a monthly show now at this place called the space you can check it out at thespacelv.com and we are going to do uh, a comedy show on friday november 22nd so uh if anyone is uh, interested in seeing me do some stand-up with uh the famous uh, poker playing comedian Joe Stapleton, uh, come on out and uh, check that out. It should be a good time. So, That's awesome. Yeah, quick plug for that. Um, I wanted to ask you about something you mentioned before because I, I think I might not be the only one confused. So you have on Tuesday nights a home game, but it's an online home game. So how does that work? I mean, I guess you don't have to buy snacks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a lot of confusion about that because sometimes I'll be – I'll tweet like, "Oh, go to play my my home game tonight," and I'm actually referring to like my neighborhood home game with my friends, like right. in a in a house. <laughs> um, but then I yeah, I have my online home game on Tuesdays, and essentially what it is, it's a private tournament, uh, so it's in a it's in a different lobby, so you have to kind of like go you know go to a different spot in the in the software, click on it, there's a password, and you can only get the password from my chat 
on, on my Twitch stream. Um, and it's, it's right. We actually just changed the format, but typically it's been a $3 buy-in tournament. It's a little, it's a knockout. So you get a dollar for every knockout and it's designed to be like a virtual home game. Um, where, you know, no, again, like nobody really cares if they get knocked out. Nobody cares if you put a bad beat on them. Nobody cares if you played Deuce 4 off pre and sucked out or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's like, it, to me, it was always like, not so much for me, because as, as I mentioned, I kind of take every one of my online sessions with this philosophy. But for a lot of people, it was kind of like, well, you know, I normally play 109s or 215s. And this is a night where I can like hang out with just a bunch of people and have fun and laugh and joke about, you know, the bad beat I took or whatever. Um, and everybody kind of hangs out and chat and, and talks to each other. And I put a bounty on my head. Uh, so if you knock me out, you get like 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. Um, and it's just fun. It's like, like I said, it's like, it's the one time where you just don't really care if you win or lose, as long as you like hang around long enough to have some fun. Um, so yeah, we call it a home game. It's obviously not in a home, but, uh, it's, it's in our little virtual home. So it's basically a private invite only game where you have to be, like connected to you somehow. In other words, it's not going to be listed with all the other tournaments right. on the list. So you have to kind of know about it. And the way they would know about it is by following you on Twitch or Twitter or both yep. and finding out that this is going on. And then they can jump in and you get a dollar for busting most people, but like 10 or 20 for busting you, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It, it, it's a really good time, and I, the the one that I always have the most fun at is our. Uh, I do an annual charity stream uh, every For the November. Dogs. Yeah, little little beagle rescue stream. And this one is actually this year is going to be in December because Thanksgiving falls so late. I always do it on Giving Tuesday, which is a a day here in America, apparently. Um, kind of like Black Friday, but it's Giving Tuesday, so it's for charity. So I always do my stream that night, and that's the funnest home game because I invite out like you know, Mark Alioto and Thesaurus and Carlos and guys like that to come like play in it. And I'll put bounties on all their heads. Uh, and that one's always fun. And, and they'll add some like Mark. And I think last year, Mark put like $200 on his head or something like some ridiculous number. Uh, and then the person that knocked him out just donated it right back to the charity, which was super cool. Um, so that one's always fun. So that's coming up. Actually, I, I the date is set December 3rd. I know it's a ways away. So everybody tell Siri to put this in your calendar, December 3rd, uh, killing bird, charity stream on twitch maybe i will participate this year if i still have america's card room on my laptop <laughs> i can fire it up and see if i still that have would be a account. blast <laughs> yeah that would be a good time i think you would enjoy it like i said it, it's super kickback and, and just lax like no nobody takes it seriously but that night it's just like the ultimate fun because it, it turns into a whole event and i and i always add prizes like the top 10 places like um you know i threw in like andrew brokus's book and um some of nate mavis's books and assassinato gave me a book and some training stuff and you know tpe memberships of course so there's really no reason people shouldn't come out and hang out for three bucks yeah that's fantastic so looks like the rest of your year you've got some really good stuff planned you're going to reno you're going to be doing the the thing for the dogs again I, by the way i can't believe it's almost a year because I feel like, you know, it seems like the last podcast you and I did together, we were talking about that. And now you're telling me it was yeah. really last November. Wow, this year has flown. Like, you realize I've been hosting this podcast for over a year now? It's insane. It's it is ridiculous. absolutely insane. Yeah. I, and I'm so happy, too, because I was actually, I forget who I was talking to the other day. And I'm like, I think we've only missed one week. 
Yeah. If I'm if I'm right. And I and it was kind of on a holiday too. Like it was kind of like something went wrong, but also it was like Christmas or something. I don't remember what it was. It was. Like, it was. Uh, yeah, we had like technical problems where I actually had recorded something, but it didn't record or, or something like that. Yeah. And then it was also like a week where we didn't expect a lot of listeners anyway because it was like right around the holidays or something. Might have been New Year's week, something like that. But yeah, we've pretty much been. Uh, cranking them out now i haven't done every single week there's been i think two or three times when you and mark did it and uh gave me a little breather but i really enjoy it and i think that one thing that really keeps it going for me is just all the amazing feedback so you guys keep it up you know i feel the love when they tweet or retweet and say nice things about the podcast and uh you know a lot of what they talk about is they like strategy so we might as well stop BSing about your stupid <laughs> career and all your charity work because the people that are listening to this are probably fast forward trying to wait till they hear you say how many big blinds you have. So let's get <laughs> exactly. to that part. <laughs> yeah, I am not going to put my hand in terms of M, so you're going to have to put that. <laughs> okay. So spoiler alert, he's not going to do M, everybody. That's okay. I think we'll, we'll survive one way or the other. So why yeah. don't you uh, tell us what the hand is from and uh, what the situation is here. Yeah, so this is uh, this is actually from a tournament that I played last night. In fact, I think it was I think you had literally messaged me and said, "Hey, you want to do a podcast from it?" And I had just noted this hand, and I was oh, like, great. "I have a hand." Awesome. <laughs> so this one's yes, yeah, so this one's pretty fresh in my mind. Although I will say that I was new to this table, so I didn't really have any reads. Um, so this is going to be kind of a you know a readless hand history, if you will. Um, I think I'd been at the table like five hands or something like that. Um, and in fact, I think the villain, I literally had, whatever hands I had on the villain in my HUD were the hands from that table. So basically readless. Uh, but this is the $11.15K guaranteed on America's Card Room. Um, you start with 25K in this tournament, and I am I start the hand with 48K, so it kind of feels like I have all these chips, but you start so deep that Really, I've just doubled my stack up. So this, consider this mid-stages, I guess, uh, to describe it to people somewhat accurately. Um, so the small blind is 1250 and the big blind is 2500 <laughs> Okay, we, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we start with 48.8K, so let's call it 20 bigs. Okay, so you can do 20 bigs. And in the yep. meantime, just for practice, everybody, let's do this math together. Okay, you got I this. wish I knew what the answer <laughs> yeah, so I see it here. You sent me this hand. I haven't really looked at oh, it yet, but it yeah, says yeah, here yeah. that nine players post an ante of 300. So that means you have 1250 plus 2500 for the blinds. So that's uh, 3750. And then you have another 300 times nine, 2700. So 37, let's call it 3750 plus. 27 that sounds like about 65 to me am i close i think that's right so if there's 6500 in the pot and you have about 48000 well if you had 65000 your m would be 10 so i would just go down from there and say you've got an m of you know ballpark like 7 between 7 and 8 all right yeah. and that gives that you a ballpark right. feel of what kind of plays you can do so uh, if you read Harrington on Hold'em, everything is kind of different now because in Harrington on Hold'em, that was written in 2003 or 2002, like back when the standard raise was three to five times the big blind to open the pot. So 
that virtually made uh, all small pairs and suited connectors basically unplayable because the opening bet was so big of a percentage of your stack. So if you had an M of seven or eight, you couldn't play. <laughs> you couldn't play <laughs> like pocket fives unless you wanted to shove and you know hope for a coin flip or something. But right. nowadays, the raises are much smaller. So I think like kind of the advice in that book will be different. But it does kind of limit. I don't think you can really play suited connectors with this kind of stack. Yeah, I would agree. Right. And, I, I mean, I guess unless it's literally like from Butner's small blind, like we could maybe do some limping, creative things like that. But I mean, you know, I'm I'm in, I'm middle position too in this hand, so I'm never going to be playing a suited connector. Right. Here. Not from this spot. All yeah. right. So we're in MP2, and tell us the action here. All right. So uh, it folds around. Uh, to us in MP2, uh, and we have pocket jacks, jack right. of diamonds, jack of hearts. I think that's what that is. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So we we have a little under twenty big blinds here, slightly under twenty. And so the first thing I when I reviewed this hand is um, I was kind of dumbfounded by my raise size. Uh, so again, we're at twelve fifty twenty five hundred. And I make it seventy nine ninety nine. Wow! So you went big more than three times the big blind. Yeah, which is rare for me. Like I think my raise here would almost always be like fifty nine ninety nine. I always I do the nine 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 thing because I'm annoying. Um, <laughs> it, I think it's now an OCD thing for me, but I, whatever the reason is, I, I do it a lot. It's your trademark. Um, it's okay. You have yeah. a trademark thing that you do. Yeah. So normally it would be that. Maybe sometimes sixty nine nine if, if it's like a sticky big blind, and I'm and I'm raising with a hand I don't want to get called with. But I feel like with a hand of jacks, like I'm just gonna kill a lot of my action here by making it seventy nine ninety nine. Like people are gonna fold all their like, well, suited connectors or. Probably not going to fold their small pairs, but like their, I don't know, like ace eight suiteds and stuff. Like we're probably going to lose all that stuff. So I, I'm first of all, I'm not a big fan of my raise size. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm also not crazy wondering about like this either. I, I think it's uh, you know, like like for the reasons you mentioned, but also you know, you have a kind of stack where, I mean, shoving would be kind of ridiculous, right? To put in what is it, eighteen or nineteen big blinds. Um, but there are hands that I would shove with this kind of stack from this spot. Yeah, that's one of the things that I was considering. I was like, well, okay, what do I do with eights or sevens or even fives? Like, those are the kind of hand or, I don't know, like ace-ten suited. Um, I don't know, that might be a little aggressive from this early position. I might do that from later position. But, yeah, that, that's kind of one of the things that I initially thought about this hand. I was like, okay, well, what's kind of our cutoff here for where we're raising and not and never folding and and what's our cutoff for where we're raising and folding to re-raises and where are we just jamming because I think there are hands I would jam like I'd probably jam sixes here um I think but that I don't know that might even be punting from from this early position I mean we still have one two three four like six, five people that six people back behind us yeah um, you're halfway through it's nine handed and there's four folds to you so. There's five more, yeah, including you. So there's only four, four yet to act behind you, right? There's yeah, it's just a folds. super awkward stack where it's yeah. kind of like, okay, well, if I had twelve, this is easy, like jam up, you know, this range. But I feel like when you get it, start to get up into that like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen range, it's kind of like, well, do I want 
to get jammed on here? I mean, I think with a hand as strong as Jack's, we do. But again, eights? I don't know. Are we trying to get King Queen off to jam on us? <laughs> like, yeah, it's it weird, I, you know. And I think that jamming yourself with this hand is a little bit. You just don't get enough value. I mean, jacks. Even though everybody always jokes about how much they hate pocket jacks, and there's no right way to play them, and you know, right. every poker announcer from Norman Chad on down, everybody says you know the jacks are the worst hand in poker, or whatever. You know, when you have an M of seven or eight, and you have eighteen or nineteen big blinds in your stack, you should be so happy to look down at two jacks. Like you should not be yeah. disappointed with your hand. <laughs> right. And you and you shouldn't shove. You shouldn't be. Um, especially with no reads on your opponents, you should be trying to get value for your hand. Now, of course, there are going to be some flops that are going to be hard for you to play. Like, we get that. But, you know, there just comes a time in a poker player's life when he needs to play some poker. And yeah. that means, like, you know, say it flops ace high, you need to figure out if your jacks are any good. Uh, you know, playing scared and trying to just shut it down now with a shove and then say, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting it all in. Like, you know, there's no book that would say it's minus EV to shove this hand, right? If you looked at a push fold chart, it's not going to tell you that your stack is too big to shove jacks here, right? It's going to say there's a lot of hands you can shove profitably here. But you got to remember, guys, like those charts, they don't always tell you the most profitable thing to do. They just tell you whether a given play is in fact plus EV or not. Right. Right. There's a big difference between this is the best play and this is a play that I can promise you doesn't lose money long long term. Right. right? Yeah. You, you know what you know what a plus EV play is? Hmm. Shoving aces with <laughs> with 500 big blinds in the main event. You're oh, going to win chips <laughs> a lot. <laughs> like you're, it is a plus chip EV move. I promise you. Definitely. But it's not the optimal move. Right. Right. Yeah. I love using extreme examples like that to. Uh, you know, illuminate the point. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So with that in mind, I think we can rule out shoving. Um, I don't know. Like you say, like you're in you're in kind of a, a rough position. I think a hand as bad as, as sixes, a shove might be a punt, even though, again, I think you can find a chart somewhere that would say against five unknowns behind you, uh, shoving is, in fact, profitable. But, you know, do we want to take that kind of risk just to win the you know, most likely you're just going to win the blinds and ante a lot. Um, right. Maybe catch somebody with ace-king, ace-queen, against which you're a very slight favorite, and you're going to win a few chips of EV. But you're also risking your stack to, to gain those chips. So, yeah, I think there aren't really any hands I would shove in this spot with, with this stack. But it's worth discussing think, because, yeah. uh, you know, you're almost in that. Like you said, your stack is awkward. This kind of stack, this kind of M, it's a little bit challenging um, because you don't really have a lot of hands that you can raise and then fold from this position either. Right. You know, like we say, you're not going to open marginal hands like suited connectors, suited aces. You should be folding those hands, right? So, so pretty yeah. much whatever you open here, you should probably be willing to mostly go with. Right, and the, and. And to that point, it, it makes it particularly awkward because if our opponents are thinking players, they know that. You know, I mean, they're going to look at our stack and go, "Well, what what is he opening here that he's ever going to fold to my shove if if he has worse than me, uh, or better, or better for that matter, because it doesn't matter." But what what is he going to fold? Like, 
like it's almost like when we get jammed on here, we're not very stoked about it, even though we kind of want to actually want with our jacks, you know, like we're kind of praying it's like nines, tens or ace jack plus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a weird spot. That's why I, that, and that's particularly why I don't like my raise size by making it so big. We narrow their range even more. So if, if we do get re-raised now, their range is even tighter. Whereas if we make it, you know, fifty two ninety nine or whatever here, now I think we kind of give them a little bit more room to get out of line with some wider hands, um, maybe king queen off, or I mean maybe even as wide as like ace ten things like that. Um, but by making it so big, like we're putting ourselves in a really awkward spot when we get re raised. Right, but at the, you know I think the trade off here, and I agree with you, I agree with you with this sizing that is going to be awkward. But I think the trade off is. Uh, there aren't that many hands that can just flat you, right? True. So because you've put in such a big chunk of your stack already, and because you've apparently committed to this pot, basically putting in 8,000 of your 48,000, I mean, there aren't too many hands you can do that with and then fold. Right. So whoever wants to play with you might as well shove on you or fold. So you're kind of putting them in a push-fold situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good point. Yeah, so I don't mind that part of it, but I think that with, you know, in balance, all things considered, you're better off just making more of a standard raise size here, like two to two and a half times the big blind and and hope to get action from worse. Agreed. Yeah. All right, so what happens? Um, uh, Oh, yeah, so so we make it 79.99, and the small blind calls... And then the big blind folds. The small blind starts to hand with 101,000. So he, he has double our stack. We're covered. Okay. Um, so, so now there's 22, let's call it, well, actually 21.2K in the middle. And we get a flop of king, six, five, two spades. We do not have a spade. Okay. So first of all, let's try to figure out what the heck the small blind is doing. Um, now, I don't know. Like you said earlier, you don't have reads on your opponents and you know less than a minute ago i said your opponent shouldn't be flatting with many <laughs> hands and if, if anyone should never be flatting it's probably the small blind so if he's competent he could well be slow playing a really big hand like aces um, yeah this was the thing that went through my mind particularly because um the big blind in this hand has 26k so like 10 bigs basically yeah so it did make me think for a minute, man, it's a pretty good spot for him to flat like kings or aces in hopes that the big blind squeezes. Um, you know, again, I don't know this guy. I don't necessarily think I can like weight him towards that level of play. What kind of um, level of play Without would you weight? Right. But it's certainly possible. What kind of level of play, Derek, would you weight? the field in general towards um generally speaking like especially in this tournament in particular because it is a big guarantee but low buy-in very much recreational kind of players okay um i mean don't get me wrong you'll see some really good players especially deep um, but i'd say in these mid stages generally speaking six out of nine are going to be somewhere between bad and just okay 
That's right. You know? So they're not really studying like stack sizes and M and, and thinking in those terms, yeah. like trying to trap the big blind into shoving so that they can get all in three ways with aces. Like that seems like a pretty sophisticated uh it's not sophisticated overall, but I think for a ten dollar tournament it's it's a, a rather sophisticated thought process that a lot of your opponents won't just won't be doing. Right. Yeah, like I you know, my original thought was first that like well he could be trapping here but okay if he's not what kind of hands am i going to give him here in the small blind where he's flatting me off this awkward stack and things like ace jack suited ace queen suited maybe even although i think most good players would shove that i think there are some recreationals who'd be like oh you know i'm in the small blind i got a little money invested let's see a flop if i flop a flush draw or an ace or a queen i'll get it in blah 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 um, so I think those kind of hands, I'm not necessarily giving him like very many suited connectors, um, possibly some small pairs because I, even I'm guilty of it sometimes. I think rec players are more often, uh, likely to set mine off stacks they shouldn't be than good players are. Yeah. That so, you know, he could, have, he could have like sevens or something. Yeah. Here, you know, just like, Oh, let's see if I flop a seven. It's, it's not good off these effective stacks, but I can see it happening. Right. Um, so, but yeah, I would let's get into towards, that. Let's get yeah. into that really quickly here. Um, you said a lot of things I want to kind of, uh, just delve into a little bit. Um, wh- why? Okay. So he's got a hundred and some thousand. So his stack is plenty big enough to be set mining, but his problem is, the big blind has almost no chips, and you don't have enough. Now that you've put in eight thousand of your forty-eight thousand, he's not getting the implied odds he would need. Now, if you guys had a stack similar to his, you could make at least a case for flatting eight k, uh, trying to hit a five with pocket fives. But even then, I think even then it's dicey, especially from out of position in the small blind. So. But with these stacks, if he's done that with a hand like fives or sixes or something, uh, that's just a really bad play. And if you're doing that sort of thing from the small blind against opponents with stacks the size of Derek's making these kind of raises, like you really need to stop doing that. As much as it hurts to fold a pocket fives and then see a five on the flop, it hurts more in the long run to bleed off all those chips because you usually won't flop that five and you're going to have to check and fold. So it's just a disaster to do that. So that's a big mistake. But I would like you, Derek, to talk about why flatting with ace-jack suited is so bad. Like you say, you know, some of these rec players, you you think it's better to shove. Why is it so bad for them to flat with those kind of hands? Well, I think in general, like, you're just going to put yourself in awkward spots because you're just, A, you're not going to hit the flop enough uh, to make it worth the chips you're investing out of position. You're gonna fold the best hand a lot, um, like you know. I don't know. Let's. I'll just take a random example. Let's say I'm opening Ace Ten suited here, and this guy flats me with Ace Jack suited, and now the flop comes Eight Seven Deuce Rainbow. You know, he's out of position. He checks to me. I put out a small C bet. He's just gotta fold. So he's gonna he's gonna be folding the best hand a decent amount of the time. He's gonna just completely miss the flop a decent amount of the time. Um, some, and then some percentage of the time he's also going to hit the flop, but he's going to have a worse hand because I'm opening off of a stack where I should really have a pretty nutted range here. So if he's got ace-jack suited and he flops a jack, I'm going to wake up with queens, kings, aces, jacks, 
And now he's going to, you know, there's so many more scenarios where you're going to lose chips in these situations than you're going to win. Uh, and he's really, I mean, especially with my raise size, like, I'm pro- like, I've basically almost made myself pot committed, or I'm at least going to with a seed bet. Like, it's going to be pretty hard for me to ever fold when I bet, you know, 9K into this 22K pot, and now there's 30K in the middle when I got, you know, 25K behind. For sure. Um, so it's just going to put him in lots of weird spots. So I think you just kind of have to, like, range me. And... and to be honest, I'm not sure what I do with like. I mean, I keep using this this hand as an example, like something like Ace Jack suited. I don't even know what I do in his spot um, because my range should be pretty tight. Um, yeah. I'm not going to have too many hands much worse than Ace Jack, possibly Ace Ten suited, maybe Ace Nine suited. Um, so I don't even know what I do in his spot. Like I'm not sure if shoving is the best move or folding is the best move. But I I kind of don't feel like flatting is particularly good. I agree with you 100%. I think folding is the best play against most opponents. Um, if he is the same as you, like he has no read on you, he doesn't know who you are. Uh, just based on your stack size, you should have a, a range against which Ace Jack, even suited, isn't doing particularly well. And more importantly, in his exact position he is one of the chip leaders he's the chip leader at this table and he may be one of the chip leaders in the whole event there's just no reason for him to put himself at risk like that now he he can't lose the tournament now but if he shoves on you here and you have a monster ace king or queens or something there's a great great chance that he's going to be down to probably about an average stack by losing half his chips to you. Yeah. So there's just no reason to put yourself in those spots. I mean, you you build up this nice stack. You're doing great in this tournament. Uh, there's no reason to put yourself in that situation. Now, if he folds ace-jack and finds out later that you had ace-ten, he may kick himself. But, you know, and I see this a lot on in both directions as uh, the listeners interact with, with us on Twitter uh, you know, in my case, at Clayton Comic, or if they use the Tournament Poker Edge to discuss the podcast, um, a lot of the feedback I get is, well, your opponent could have this or that. And I feel like a lot of players have the mentality of worrying about the worst case scenario. Right. So it goes both ways. Like you might be hoping that he has ace 10, but you might also be worried that he has ace queen. And neither one is correct. You should be just playing your range against his range. And then you don't worry about when you happen to run into the top of someone else's range or are lucky enough to run into the bottom of that person's range. Like That's why we talk in terms of range, because you don't have to you know, <laughs> worry about exactly what happens in this particular instance. It's a, it's a much healthier and profitable approach to say, I'm going to play my range against his range. And I just think against any type of competent player who's open in fifth position at a nine-handed table off of 18, 19 big blinds, ace-jack of spades is not doing well and should just fold. And don't worry what happens. You know, if the flop comes with two jacks, you don't go home and cry about that. That's just not the way you should be thinking about poker. Yeah. I always say um, I I can often tell a good player by if, well, I can tell a bad player if they say, yeah, I, I kind of put you on ace-queen. 
<laughs> but I could tell a good player if they say, I had you on something like yeah. you know, medium to big suited connectors, uh, small to medium pairs, and like Ace 10 plus. I'm like, okay, you're good. <laughs> you yeah. know? Because like you know, you're talking in terms of range, where somebody's like, I, "Yeah, that's what I put you on." Yeah, I put I, you I, I on put that. Put yeah. you on Ace <laughs> it's like, I'm like, all right, you're terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it could be different by the river, right? Like river decisions might be you might be able to narrow it down a little bit more specifically based on exactly how the hand played. But like, I mean, if you're like, you know, you raise and they three bet and you just fold and they show you Ace Queen, you're like, "Yep, I knew you had Ace Queen." Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, like, the more, really? The more information you have the easier it is to narrow everything down. You know, pre-flop, it's very hard to put someone on a specific hand. But yeah, like you say, by the river, you might be able to say, well, he's either got ace-queen or nothing, right? right? If somebody's representing a particular hand, and that's the only hand that makes sense besides a bluff, you can say, well, he's either got this or, or it's a bluff. Yeah. But you can't do that on the flop. Like, we, don't, <laughs> we don't know enough about how things have gone yet. So yeah, you can't exactly, quote-unquote, put me on anything at this point. Yeah. So anyway, um, with all that said, it's very hard to put this small blind on a range because you haven't been playing with him for very long. And in my mind, there's really almost no hand he should be flatting with. I could see occasionally flatting uh, with a monster. So I'd be worried about aces if I thought he might be a good player. But against the average player in this field, we were not too concerned about that. And it's probably just a guy that got his big stacked by playing too many hands and now here's just another hand he shouldn't be playing that he's playing yeah i think that's accurate yeah so what does the big blind do um so yeah so it's king six five flop um he checks sorry so the big blind pre-flop oh the big folded. blind folded pre yeah yeah all right small so blind now, called big blind folded pre right so now the uh, flop comes king six five and we don't have the suit so uh your your head's up against this yep. guy who called you from the small blind and he checks the pot is about 21,000 and we still have 40,000 behind so our SPR is about 4 right sorry 2 yeah there's 20,000 in the pot oh, yeah. we have 40,000 yeah, in the stack so our SPR is 2 yeah. so with that kind of SPR have we flopped an overpair I think it's a pretty easy fist pump go with it let's try to get it in but this king on the flop is kind of making things a little hairier. Yes. However, I, I feel think, like if we make a bet here, we have to kind of feel committed. Don't you agree? Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, I feel like we're going to have to – I mean, we're pretty much going to commit ourselves with a bet. Um, I don't – I think I could go a little smaller. I end up betting 10.5K. I think I could go a little bit smaller. Um But I kind of almost want to commit myself at this point. Especially because I don't know that he's going to have a lot of kings, with maybe the exception of, like, king-queen. I mean, ace-king, I think he gets in pre, or at least tries to. Yeah, how does he not three-bet you with that? Especially yeah. with the size of the big blind. Even a bad player would know to three-bet that. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I feel like king-queen suited is like, or king-queen off or king-queen suited are probably the only hands we have to worry about. We block king-jack, and I think king-ten's not playing the hand this way. Um, so it, it, like the hands that I'm really worried about are pretty narrow. Um, at this point, again, I don't think he has his king. I don't think he has king queen, or or he could have king queen, but I don't think he has king jack or worse. So it's literally one hand that I'm really that worried about on this flop. Um, 
if there's draws, I kind of want to charge them, and I also want to be able to get it on the turn. Um, so I feel like I end up going, you know, about half pot, which I think is kind of okay, actually. Normally, I think I'd go a little bit smaller, but I think in this case, it's kind of okay. Cause I just, I just want to be able to jam pretty much all turns. Yeah, I have no problem with your sizing here on the flop. I mean, I just think that now, if you get check raised, you just got to get your stack in and hope you don't see a king. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't know what else we can do. Like, we can't put in this many chips with this strong of a hand and then just put our opponent on that one hand that could have us beat. <laughs> right. Right? I mean, yeah, of course, you could also have pocket sixes or pocket fives. But, you know, like now I feel like the Twitter followers that are just always telling me what hands I should have been worried about every time we discuss a hand on the podcast. Like, you can't play poker just <laughs> worrying about the worst-case scenario. Like, yeah, we're going to lose yeah. this pot sometimes, okay? But that's poker, and you you started with a marginal stack to begin with. It's not like you punted off some huge stack with pocket jacks. Right. You had 18 bigs, for God's sake, so you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and if you run this hand a thousand times, they're not going to have fives and sixes very often. Right, why should like, they even yeah, call? Yeah, it's going right. to happen. Yeah. You know, it's going to pop up instances where some guy set mine well, off 20 bigs effective or whatever, but it's just not going to happen enough that you have to worry about it. Right, and nor uh, should you just... have the suited connectors like a 6-5. You know, two pair kind of hands. Like, I'm just not worried about that much, and I agree with you. He should not have King Jack anyway, but you even have two of the Jacks. So if he is bad enough to have played King Jack, it's still that much more unlikely that he has it anyway. And King 10 obviously shouldn't be in anybody's flatting range, especially with your large size pre-flop. So it's either a monster or that one possible King-Queen uh that that you should be worried about otherwise mostly you're ahead and can probably get value yep. um if his range is mostly middle pairs then they should call at least one bet here say some somebody doesn't know how to play nines right maybe flatting nines from the small blinds just a little too strong to fold but it's a little too weak to three bet so i call as a compromise which we know mm-hmm. andrew brokus says you should never do right. calling is not a compromise <laughs> Um, but you know, that is kind of a reasonable hand for him to have, I guess. Yeah. Especially for a rec player. Yeah. They don't know. And again, I don't know if he is, this guy might be the best player in the country, but (laughs) yeah, we don't know. We're just, you kind of take the average player. Yeah. When you don't know who you're up against, you just kind of have to take the average player in the tournament that you're playing and assume until proven otherwise that he's that. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you bet. Yeah. So pot. So again, we have we have 21k in the middle. I bet 10.5, actually 10.6, um, and the villain calls. <laughs> okay, so he's he's check calling on king six five. Uh, yeah. So now, like his call actually makes it even more complicated, I think, because <laughs> let's say he had flatted king queen pre or king jack. I kind of think he'd get it in here um, in case we have spades. He kind of wants to. I mean. He's minus necessarily getting it in bad here with spades, but like I don't think he wants to see scare cards come. Let's say he has an eight, you know. Let's say he has aces. He flatted aces and he's trapping us. Well, he doesn't really want to see a spade either, because um, then that might scare us away. So I feel like what, like if he had jammed here, like I would just snap call, um, or if he folds, great, we win the hand. His call kind of screwed me up. I was like, well. Shit, now what does he have? <laughs> and now I'm leaning more towards like spade hands when he just calls. Because I'm I, I'm thinking he shoves any king. 
And now there's 40,000 in the pot and we have only 30,000 left in the stack. Yeah. So, I mean, we really, yeah, this is a little bit dicey. But, you know, as I said before, I feel committed and I think we should feel committed even with this scary call. I mean, I don't know what the heck he has. Nobody really plays this way, so I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, if if you could tell me that he's an experienced, you know, talented player, I would say, well, you should run for the hills because this guy is trying to bleed you dry with his aces. Yeah. You know, or his little or his little guy like Kings and flop right. top set, and he's just yeah, he's the risk a monster. Yeah. Either way, it's a monster that we we can't beat. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, without being able to make that assessment, I would just say this guy is a caller. You know, he called pre-flop. He's calling now. <laughs> he's probably just going to keep calling. <laughs> yeah. So uh, is Jax good enough to bet again? I don't know. Well, what's the turn card? Yeah, so the turn is the 10 of spades, which now with my new mindset, I'm I'm seeing monsters in the bet. I'm like, great. So now we got king, six, five, three spades. Um, we, you know... We we can we were just talking about nines. I mean tens are a possibility, but I'm not going to worry about that. But the spade definitely worries me, and the fact that we maybe we're getting trapped in the first place worries me a little bit as well. Um, so this is definitely not my favorite card, although I like it more than an ace, uh, and certainly more than an ace of spades. Um, so there's 42.4k in the middle. Like we said, we have about 30k behind. Um, and the villain checks to us. All right. So he's just checked and called, checked and called. All right. So now uh, the question really is, do we just put our stack in now or do we check here and then call if he bets the river? Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess this is a pretty ugly spot. I mean, I don't I, I see why you picked out this hand for the podcast, because uh, well, the first thing I need to say is we are committed. Um, even if an ugly spade hits the river, I think it's hard to fold having put this much in. I think, I guess mm-hmm. if the worst possible spade hit the river, which would be the ace, like ace of spades hits the river and he shoves, I guess you can go ahead and fold your jacks in that scenario. But otherwise, you know, sort of a disastrous river card. I think we need to be in a calling mode. Mm-hmm. That that might yeah. be, That might be a case for shoving now. Because we're going to call most of the time anyway, and right. I feel like we can get value on a shove here, or at least protect against another spade killing us when our opponent has something like pocket nines with a spade, right? He yep. might even call yep. you now. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you That's can really point. put him on, unless you can really put him on uh, being the type of player that that is capable of doing this, you know, elaborate trap play. And I say elaborate because remember, guys, the big blind had a short stack, right? So yeah. he had to be considering, well, Derek has opened off 18 blinds and the uh, big blind only has 10. So I'm going to slow play because my opponents are relatively short stacked. And it's a, a rare opportunity to slow play a monster from the small blind, yeah. right? And if you know if we're playing a $10 tournament on, on a U.S.-facing site, like I just don't know if we can really give him credit for all of that. And now, yeah, certainly. Yeah, checking. I think in, until they until they prove that they can. Right. Yeah. Like, until, <laughs> yeah. until somebody shows you, like, oh, this guy's this guy's a competent, tricky, you know. Yeah, you didn't have player. that note on him, like you didn't. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't give him all that credit. And then you know, obviously, 
checking and calling the flop is consistent with a flush draw. But in my opinion, it's also consistent with so many other hands. And a lot of those hands are hands that we can beat and that can now give us value because they did pick up some kind of flush draw here on the on the turn. So I guess I lean towards shoving here, but I don't think that checking back is terrible either. What did you do? Yeah, so I checked, um, and I know my reasoning at the point uh, at that point in time. You were scared of the flush. Well, I was like, I was like, okay, what if I shove here? What do I get called by that I beat? That was basically the thought in my mind. If he has king x, if he had a flush draw, if he had tens, if he had fives, he had sixes, he had kings, aces, queens. I'm like, I'm like, what do I, what do I get called by? I don't think I gave him enough credit for being able to call with things like, like what you were saying, like nines with the nine of spades, um, eights with the eight of spades, maybe, um, maybe not. So I, I, I don't know. I'm waiting the hands I can get called by that I beat versus the hands I can fold <laughs> out that Heck, are better. This guy or, could, you know, this guy could even have like ace queen. And check called the flop with ace queen because he had the ace of spades all along, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there are hands that now have equity to call you, but you're beating. Yeah, that's right? true. Right? Like he has a gut shot to go with his flush draw. Now, if he has that exact hand, ace queen with the ace of spades, or even the queen of spades for that matter, um, you know, because it's so hard to range him both pre-flop and on the flop, we just kind of have to assume this guy's not very good. And therefore, he is likely to call. Like, he's shown that he likes to call. So I I agree that it's pretty thin value, but it's not strictly a value bet. You're also getting hands that have some kind of equity Mm -hmm. to fold. Like, any spade has a decent amount of equity. Yeah, and if if he has something like ace-queen with the ace of spades, he's got a ton of equity. And he's probably going to call. He's got two overs. He's got... Plus, like he's he's got all the cards, right? But you know, luckily you block his straight, you know, pretty hard. True, true. But and yeah, also, so- like, and it's also worth thinking about the fact that we are going, you know, let's say a spade does roll off, and he doesn't have a spade. Now we get no more value, you know, because I mean, he's probably going to check. If he checks, we're probably going to check too. Yeah, you <laughs> don't can't really get values if he bluffs it. Right, you can't bet a spade river. Yeah, no. yeah, but you can call sometimes, but you might even get outplayed sometimes. If right. he shoves on a spade river, like I said before, if that ace of spades rolls off on the end and this guy goes all in, even though I felt pot committed, I'm probably going to fold. <laughs> just yeah. It's yeah. like literally the worst card in the deck for us. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I wanted to give him a chance to, uh, along with what I was talking about before, where it's like, okay, well, this is one of the worst cards. What do we beat? I also kind of wanted to give him a chance to bluff when he doesn't have the best hand. So it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to bet and just get called off by the nuts. Uh, and I'm also not going to fold. So if I'm not going to fold, maybe I'll just let him blast off into me. But I just think there's too many bad rivers both ways. A, that beat me. B, that kill action. Like, there's really no... There, there's a lot of bad rivers. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so I, I think I'm with you. I think shoving here is probably best. Um, and, you know, if he got there or he was already there, well, we got outplayed. Good game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you never lose a showdown, you don't value bet enough. 
You know what I mean? Like you have mm-hmm. to put it in bad sometimes or you're just yep. not putting in good enough. Yep. I think it was Sean Deeb who once wrote on 2 plus 2, if you're never getting it in bad, you're not getting it in enough. There you go. Yeah, I mean that's what <laughs> I'm trying to say. Yeah, so – Anytime something I say resembles something Sean Deep said, I'm happy. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, so what comes off on the end? So the river is the six of diamonds. Oh, so pairs have, the board. Yeah, which just, hey, might as well make things more complicated. Yeah, you know, um, I don't hate it, though. I mean, if we think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is one of the better it. cards yeah. for us. I yeah. Mean, you know, if you had a boat, we were going, or, or if you had set at that point we're going broke anyway so it doesn't change a lot unless he has something like a6 with the ace of spades yeah, or something I silly mean, like that but again that's just that's monsters under the bed stuff like yeah. you know, if that's the case hey cool he you know five out of us on the river or you know if he paid that much pre-flop to see a flop with a6 i almost like <laughs> want him to win a pot once in a while <laughs> yeah i mean put it this way there's i don't know 20 other cards i would like less than this yeah. card. <laughs> yeah, know? I'm pretty Every happy spade, with that card. Yeah. An ace, a queen, probably. Like, yeah, there's a bunch. Yeah. Um, so it's not a terrible card. Um, there's 42.4K in the middle, and our villain um, bets 30,000. Okay, so that's basically he's betting our stack. Yeah, if I recall, he either bet, like, enough to leave me, like, a K. I, I don't want to do the math, but it was yeah. either like that or, or it was just over our stack. Essentially, it's all in. Yeah, um, this is not a scary card. Um, but you know, it's one of our better river cards. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you're just going to call and see like a busted draw. Some of the time, uh, it could be like a desperate, you know, just big stack bully trying to like make a, a desperate play on the end. I just think Jack's a little too close to the top of our range to fold. Um, yeah, I'd pay it off. Whatever. I agree with you. Um, and I think, to go back to what I was saying on the turn, and I don't know if this is right or not, by the way. I don't want to say this is the right way of thinking about this hand. But I think when I check there, I'm pretty much checking, hoping he does this. Yeah, so works, then you have right? to call. Yeah. Yeah, so if I'm not going to jam here, I mean, like you said, with the exception of maybe the Ace of Spades, like, I just don't think I'm ever going to fold the river even if it's a spade so i think when i check here i have to call this river um so yeah you know it it wasn't like fun right (laughs) like it's like oh great uh might as well lose this tournament um but i did call and the pot shipped my way and the villain showed us the ace of spades and the queen of clubs so nice uh <laughs> nice call on that there clayton because you mentioned that very specific hand <laughs> yeah now i need to say everybody lest you think otherwise derek did not send me the result of this hand he sent me the action but not the result and i just looked at it very briefly before we started recording today so <laughs> as i'm patting myself on the back i'm imagining some of you rolling your eyes like clearly these guys talked about it <laughs> before <laughs> nope. they started recording but <laughs> yeah it's pretty good once in a while uh, you make a, a a tough call in a in a good spot the problem is just nothing really makes sense yeah. otherwise like yeah he could have a flush obviously we could have ace queen off he could have also had the ace queen of spades and then no one's patting himself on the back. We're like, why did I call? I knew he had a flush, right? <laughs> right. But, you know, all things considered, just the way the hand went down, 
it just feels like he's going to have that exact kind of busted draw in this spot often enough that, yeah, I just wanted to pay it off. And like you said before, like he doesn't have a king. He would have played a king differently on the flop. So, right. yeah, it just didn't really make any sense. for. It's either a flush or he missed. He yep. might have yeah. had something like nines with the spade where he just, you know, he hung in there because he picked up a flush draw on the turn and then he kind of knew it wasn't good enough to win a showdown at the end. So he like, it becomes like a desperate, like, let me try to get this pot now. I just yeah. don't think he has that many flushes that you can fold jacks here. So yeah, good for you yeah. calling and good for me figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I've started to do recently is in these kind of spots is to think about you know, we were talking about ranging your opponents earlier, right? So now we're on the river, and we have a story that has been told to us. And you can kind of say to yourself, okay, what story is he telling? And what hands make sense? What range of hands makes sense in that story? And then you can kind of narrow that down to say, okay, well, which ones could also be in that story that don't make any sense? And when you do that, like in this specific hand, there's so few. Like, if he turned over aces or kings or even tens, I'd be like, eh, you know what? Story checked out. Like, that story makes complete sense, the way this hand played out. You know, like, he slow played preflop. He flopped a big hand. Turn was a that. little bit scary, yeah. so he checks. Yeah. Makes the nuts on the river. He jams. Like, that makes complete sense. But the hands that we beat that also make sense in this story... Ace queen off, nines, you know, uh, queen ten, like a million, right? Um, we beat all those, and we beat more than what we'd lose to, especially because we have to. We also have to give him credit for doing this pre with big with these big hands that now crush us. Um, so when you when you think he's only going to do that like thirty percent of the time, and most players are just going to like jam ace king pre and jam kings pre and jam aces pre. You can just, you know, you can narrow that down. So it's something I started doing because I used to get myself in these spots where I would, I would make these decisions and then go, oh, okay, yeah, that did make sense. But I didn't think about it before I made the decision, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just kind of, you know, I was like, well, I have a good hand. I call, and then you're like, oh, of course that's what he has. That makes complete sense. And when you run it back, you're like, that's pretty much what he has here, like a lot of the time. Yeah, no, um, I think his biggest mistake, by the way, is actually the flop call. Like, I, you kind of said earlier that when he calls your big pre-flop raise from the small blind, he should be doing so with a pretty narrow range that might include, like, ace-jack suited, ace-queen. Mm -hmm. So we all kind of had ace-queen, like, in the back of our minds. But then what? what's he doing, Calling, checking and calling with that on, on your flop bet? Like, that, to me, is a terrible call. By him, mostly because you just don't have enough chips to pay him off if it goes runner, runner, flush, or right. gets lucky and hits one of his lucky cards. And you could have him so beat on this flop. You know, like your range certainly includes the biggest hands. Yeah. You know, you're kind of uncapped, right? You're open for middle position off middle position off 18 bigs. You're on. You're uncapped. Yeah, you can have pocket kings, pocket aces. You can have anything. Uh, yeah, kind of... and I also like. I hope he was planning to check jam the turn because I mean, if you're going to call this flop, this is the turn you're looking for. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so maybe he was. Ace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, but but you just don't have enough chips for him to keep like playing these like sophisticated multi-street 
kind yeah, of no. game plan when you committed yourself. All right, we said on the flop that you were pot committed, basically, yeah. unless it ran out really, really ugly, which it didn't. Um, you were not folding. So he should right. know that and know that, you know, any part of his strategy that includes bluffing is a mistake because you 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 can't raise that big pre-flop and then bet pre- pretty healthy on the flop and then really lay down any reasonable hand later. Right, right. So, In fact, actually, now that you say that, you make a really good point. I actually think his best move might just be to open jam the turn. Like, if he's going to call this flop and get this turn, because... That's the one time I might be able to fold. Like, if he check raises, I'm calling. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, so, guys, he should be all in pre-flop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. but, yeah. We we found ourselves on this street by accident. <laughs> yeah, so we end up here somehow. And yeah. then I think, you know, check shoving the flop is okay. It's like we could have saved so much time by getting yeah. this all in pre. <laughs> yeah, he should have. Yeah. We wouldn't even have a hand to discuss for the podcast. Like, did you win the yeah. coin flip against ace-queen or not? <laughs> right. And then it's like, okay, well, if you're going to play ace-queen flop dependent, you didn't get your flop. <laughs> like, right. So, so check you know, and I, fold. Yeah, he just yeah. got caught up in the back door. You know, right. when you have the ace of spades and there are two spades on the flop, guys, you have less than 6% chance of making a flush. Yeah. Always remember that. Okay, so when you, before you get all excited about all the things you can do, now a lot of us do get excited on that kind of flop when we have a deep stack and we say, well, there are some turn cards that will give me more equity with which to sure. develop a you know, creative bluffing strategy where I don't need to hit an ace or a queen to win this pot because now you know, there's some cards that give me a straight draw. There's some cards that give me a flush draw. Certain cards like the Ten of Spades give me both. But that's no good when your opponent's already committed. Right. So yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, now you really need to hit to win. So instead, he doesn't hit, and instead he tries this desperate move that you were able to uh, make the call against, and I'm really glad you did. Um, because I know Derek a few years ago was a little nittier and probably would have laid it down and just said, well, I, I, you know, jacks are never good here. But this right. time, you know, maybe because you're doing so much work, um, you know, away from the table, you found that call and good for you now sometimes you're going to find that call and he's going to show you the nuts and you're going to say you know at least old Derek would have been in the tournament still (laughs) right yeah I miss old Derek (laughs) old Derek was good at folding (laughs) stupid jacks yeah yeah and they are a tough hand to play so that's for sure no doubt all right well anything else you want to tell people about before we say goodbye um I just want to mention that um if people have not heard about it or started watching yet, over on Tournament Poker Edge, um, we have the 12-part epic series from uh, Andrew Brokus, where he's reviewing hands from his WSOP main event run. Um, I am guilty of only being on episode or video two. Um, I feel like it's like season three of Breaking Bad, and I'm still on season one because um, like people are talking about stuff in the, in the forums and stuff, and I'm behind. Um, but the feedback's been great so far, and I think everybody knows Andrew's a great, great um, teacher and coach. Um, and if nothing else, just to like be on the sidelines of somebody going deep in the World Series of main event um, is just cool. So um, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. I mentioned that that's happening, and uh, if you're going to be at Run It Up Reno, if any of you guys are listening, I'm sure at least. Some of you out there will be there. Um, please hit me up. I love nothing more than sitting down and having a beer with TP members or just podcast listeners or Twitch viewers or whatever. Um, I can always be talked into a cold one at the bar. So uh, please, I'm not a very intimidating dude. Just flag me down. I'd love to. I'd love to chat. 
Yeah, that sounds great. One of these days, buddy, I'm going to take you up on that, and you'll see me in Reno in the month of October. One of these years, it'll happen, but uh, this is not going to be the year. But I uh, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, hang out with me tonight, Derek. It's always uh, yeah. great to have Killing Bird on the TPE podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And, uh, man, you're doing a great job. The feedback's been amazing, so uh, keep it up. Well, appreciate the feedback, everybody. So for Derek Tambush and for everybody else here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.